Good morning, and welcome to Redwood Christian Church. We are so glad that you are joining us today, whether you're joining us uh, somewhere here in the Rogue Valley or, or somewhere spread out across our country or even other parts of the world. We're so honored that you are here. Maybe, maybe you're even joining us at one of our watch parties here at the church uh, this morning. We are so honored and thrilled and humbled that you have joined us to worship God uh, today. Now, if you haven't heard, I want to give you a quick update before we uh, kind of jump into the sermon today. But we are now in phase two of our reopening plan here in Josephine County, which opens the doors both literally and metaphorically for churches and and faith-based gatherings to start back up. And so we as a leadership with the elders and the staff, uh, we've come to this decision to kind of create our own two-phase opening plan. We're in phase one starting today where we're going to do these watch parties together. So if you didn't join us at the church today, the next few Sundays you can do that. We're going to have the doors open where you can come in and watch uh, the services on, on our screens. They'll still be recorded like they are right now. But you can worship uh, with the community here at Redwood. Or if your small group wants to come in, you can schedule us a different time. Uh, We can kind of do these throughout the day. But those all lead up to our phase two, which for us here at Redwood will start June 28th. That's when we will all be together in this room uh, for for live in-person worship services. Now, they're going to be a little bit different. We're going to go back to two services, 8.30 and 10 o'clock. And if you're one of those that says, well, you know what, I'm really not quite ready to come back yet. Uh, I want to wait till maybe there's a vaccine or till things settle down a bit. Good news for you. We're going to live stream our 10 o'clock service, so you'll be able to watch it. We'll have it streamed through Facebook, possibly through our website. Uh, we're going to get you all the details as far as the live stream and how the services will look and our social distancing protocols. All of that's going to come out as we get closer to June 28th. But I just wanted to let you know, We're getting there. We're almost to that point where we can come back together. I know so many of you have reached out to me. Uh, I'm ready to see you all again. Uh, It's going to be so much better for all of us, I think, when we get to this point. So hang in, Redwood. We are almost there. Hey, as we jump into our sermon today, I've got a quick question for you. When you get something new, what do you do with the old one? Do you keep it or do you throw it out? Now, if you're like me, you probably answered that question, well, it depends what it is. Uh, some things you get new, you're replacing something that you have thrown out or that has been discarded. For example, if I get a new Kleenex, it probably means that I have gotten rid of the one I was just using. I don't keep old used Kleenexes laying around, and you probably shouldn't either. If you do, you've got some problems that we need to talk about, okay? Okay. Uh, Maybe you get a new uh, trash bag. I'm not keeping my old trash bags. I don't keep old sticks of deodorant or, uh, you know, an old vacuum cleaner. Maybe you get a new car. Maybe you keep the old one. Maybe not. Now, some things you get new and you don't necessarily throw out the old one. You go buy a new shirt. You probably are just going to add it to your collection of shirts or a new pair of shoes. Uh, Maybe you buy some new towels or maybe if you're like us, you know, you, you kind of drop your towels down the hierarchy a little bit, your good bath towels, your secondary bath towels for when the good ones are dirty, and then you've got your old ones that are now acceptable to be used in the garage, right? <laughs> maybe it's, it's things like a new set of pillows or bed sheets, or maybe it's a new child. You know, you don't necessarily get rid of the old ones because you got a new one, right? See, being a Christian, or the reason I bring this question up is being a Christian, uh, we, we kind of get something new. When you become a Christian, you get something new, and in this case, we get rid of something old. 
Now, in the case of the Christian life, it's a new life. And that means we get rid of our old life, our old past, our old identity. Now, maybe, maybe this is you know, one of the first church services you've seen or heard or, or been a part of in a while, and you're like, man, this, this dude's starting off kind of odd, and this is kind of weird, and yes, I'm all of those things, okay? So don't judge me. But here's where I'm getting at with this. See, when you become a Christian, something changes in you. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, uh, that the church started. That was the day the Holy Spirit showed up. The church kicked off. It was about seven weeks after Jesus had been uh, killed on the cross, put in the tomb, rose from the dead. You know, 50 days after the Passover. That's what Pentecost means. And on that day, the Holy Spirit showed up. The church started and Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus, gave this incredible sermon. And when he was finished, some guys came up to him and go, hey, hey, Peter, man, this is awesome. We, we want to... We want to follow this Jesus you're talking about. What do we have to do? And Peter gave them a very simple answer. Repent and be baptized. Now often we hear that phrase, and if you've been a part of the church for any length of time, you probably know that phrase very well, but a lot of times we kind of focus on one part of that, the baptized part of that. Because it's in baptism that we uh, kind of make a public uh, demonstration or, or a public declaration of our decision to follow Jesus. Kind of like a wedding ceremony. Okay, but often, we don't necessarily ignore, but we don't emphasize that first part about repentance. What is repentance? Maybe you've heard that word and you're like, well, that's, that's a churchy word. I don't really know much about that. It's really not a big fancy word. Repentance simply means to change teams, to switch from one side to the other. In terms of walking with Jesus, it means to stop doing what you were doing before you came to Jesus and start trying to become more like Jesus. In other words, stop living a life of sin focused on what the world wants to give you and instead start living a life focused on following God and living like Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something here. Because if you're a new Christian or if you're considering coming to the faith, you may say something like, you know, Kurt, I, I've accepted Jesus. I even got baptized, and I still struggle. I, I still smoke, or I still am, am addicted to this, or addicted to that, or I, I still have trouble with, with this, this bad habit. I want you to understand something clearly. That's okay. Now, we want to work on it, but it's okay, and here's why. It doesn't mean that your salvation was a fake, it doesn't mean that your faith is weak. It doesn't mean that this whole God thing was a lie. It just means you're a human who is trying to overcome a bad habit that you notice is there. You know this, right? Bad habits don't go away easily. They require work. They require dedication. And I want you to hear something as well, too. There are many people a lot like me who have been Christians for a very long time who would look and honestly say, yeah, I've got a very mature faith, a very strong faith, and I still struggle. I still have struggles that I find or that find me every day. And one of the biggest differences here is I would say it's not something I intentionally wake up in the morning and go, I think I'm going to go do this today. No, it just has a way of finding me, or I have a way of finding it throughout the course of the day. See, when we become a Christian, we simply make the choice not to chase after sinful habits anymore. That's where we're going to find ourselves today 
in Ephesians. If you're just joining us, if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, we have been in this uh, series called One in Christ, working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And with any letter of Paul, we, we realize that Paul builds one step to the next, one section to the next. What we just read uh, feeds into what we are about to read. So if you've missed any part of this series, I would really encourage you to, to find it on our website or on, on YouTube and watch through these, the, these sermons. Not to say, hey, look how great I preached or how great Pastor Matt preached. Or No, Paul builds one step to the next. And what we talk about feeds into the next week. So to kind of recap this just really quick, he talked in chapter two about how we are saved by grace, through faith, nothing that we can do to earn it. And because of that, he says we are reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. And because of those two things, he says in chapter three, we have this mission to take this mystery of, of God to the world. In other words, we need to go preach the message and the gospel of Jesus to the whole world. And, and that, he says, is built on our our, our foundation, that we are rooted and, and founded in the love of Jesus that grows and makes us strong enough to withstand anything. And because of that, he says, we are one. We talked about this last week. We're united. He says we share one uh, body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father overall. And with all of that in mind, we talked about this kind of last week. The reason that's all important is because it's our mission and our goal to build each other up, to, to equip each other, to build up the body of Christ so that we can attain full knowledge of the Son of God, so that we can become mature in our faith, to attain the fullness of Christ, so that we can withstand anything the world throws at us. And with all of that in mind, he starts off in chapter uh, 4, starting in verse uh, 17. He's going to give us this section on kind of some do's and some don'ts. In other words, what he's going to tell us is, this is how things were before you came to Christ, and now here's how things should be now that you have come to Christ. This is a very long section. We're going to kind of dive bomb this a little bit here. But as we do, I kind of want to just look at the theme that we're going to get at through all of this. Paul makes it very to walk with Jesus, we need to stop looking for darkness and let the Spirit guide us into light. Uh, think about this for a second. How many times have you been in a place that is dark, whether it's literal or metaphorical, and you just felt this overwhelming sense of anxiety or fear, uh, and all you wished for was light? And a lot of times when we find ourselves in darkness, what's our first instinct? To try and find a light switch. To try and figure out where we can get some kind of light to give us some sliver of hope to get out of our dark situation. That's what Paul's going to talk about here. He starts right off the bat in verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Uh, Paul basically starts right off with kind of a thesis statement or a dominant thought for this section. In the Lord, in Jesus, we don't walk uh, like we did before we came to Jesus. In fact, he goes so far as to add the phrase, in the futility of their minds, to emphasize his point. Uh, another way of saying this is if our minds are futile, he's saying they're worthless. You think about what futility means. It means you try and it's just not any good. That's kind of what he's getting at here is without Jesus, our minds are they're not any good. They don't help us out. They don't lead us anywhere. Maybe he could say they're, they're meaningless. But in Christ, he says, we find purpose. We find direction and fulfillment. 
Apart from Jesus, we find darkness and confusion. Kind of similar to what he wrote in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, he wrote these words, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Think about this for a second here. I'm not asking you to think of specific people or name names here, but that last phrase there, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Man, there's a lot of people or groups of people that we could say that really describes them today. In other words, what they're doing is they're focusing on what they think is right, what they think is is wholesome, what they think is fulfilling, and really it's leading them the wrong direction. It's leading them down the wrong path. See, walking with Christ means that we step out of darkness back onto the right path into the light. Uh, Again, it doesn't mean that we have everything perfectly figured out. It doesn't mean as Christians we're never going to sin or struggle with sin. Trust me, we do. I do. Okay? But it means we stop chasing sin. It means we stop making what the world wants for us our priority. See, chasing sin makes us no different than the rest of the world. Sinning makes us human. Chasing sin makes us just like everybody else. But to become a Christian, we need to get that out of our, out of our forefront of our minds. And chasing sin stops becoming our priority. Uh, Grant Osborne said it this way, there is absolutely no place for worldliness in the Christian life. A former pastor of mine one time was asked, well, I guess you're a Christian, that means you don't sin anymore? And he, he said, no, I still sin, I, I just don't want to. See, it means that we quit focusing on that. Instead, we focus on Jesus. He is our goal. He is, is our, our prize that we're trying to get to. And you may say, well, well, that's great, Kurt. What's that look like? That's what I want, but I don't, I don't know how to accomplish that. Well, the good thing for us is, even though this is a very long section, Paul lays it out for us very plainly, very clearly, and really he sets it up where we can just dive bomb this and hit some bullet points and see exactly what it is that he wants us to know. He, he really breaks it into two specific areas for us that we can focus on. The first one is this, uh, we find out how to live our new identity in Christ. Now, now think about what this means for a second. You're like, what, what does it mean a new identity in Christ? See, when we are, become a Christian, when we accept Jesus, we become his. We're not the world's anymore. So here's kind of where Paul gets at this. There's a contrasting view between your life before Jesus and your life after Jesus. Your life who you were, your life who you are. And here's kind of how he describes the life that you once were. Uh, Starting in verse uh, 18, he says this, They were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and practice every kind of impurity. Real quick, four things he mentions there. We're darkened in our understanding. Uh, We already mentioned that a few moments ago. Romans chapter 1, Paul uh, says that their minds were futile, but it also says that God gave them over to a depraved mind. In other words, when you ask God to get out of your way, he will. And that's what we've seen, I think, too many times in too many people. And therefore, God gives you over to your depraved mind that you think, you think things are right and they're really not. Uh, He allows you to corrupt yourself. If you ask him, he'll get out of your way and you can corrupt yourself yourself. Now, that's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. Imagine this for a minute here. If you turn away from God, you are allowing your own warped and corrupted mind to set your own ethical standards and boundaries and guardrails for your life. Here's the problem with that. When I'm setting my own ethical standards, I get to decide what's right and wrong. 
And my version of right and wrong, that can be skewed very easily. The second thing it says is that we were alienated from God. Folks, understand something here for just a second. God and sin cannot coexist in your life. You've got to pick one or the other. Again, that doesn't mean if you've got God in your heart that you won't sin. Or that if you've got God in your heart and you do sin, that it washes it all away. That's not what it means. But it means you have to pick. Am I chasing God or am I chasing the world? God is perfect and true. Sin is corrupt and broken. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, you might remember this from reading the Gospels, Jesus was on the cross and he, he looked up and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus, who had never sinned, who knew no sin, took all of my sin and all of your sin on him. And God had to turn away. And Jesus cried out to him in that moment. Folks, in sin, when you live in sin, you cut yourself off from God and you leave yourself in a hopeless, lost, alienated situation. Third here, he says that we were ignorant. We had hardened hearts and we had become callous. I used to think that the term ignorant was like an insult, like calling somebody dumb or stupid. You know, ignorant meant that you just weren't very bright. But as I've gotten older, I've kind of realized what ignorant means. It means you don't know something because you either haven't given yourself the chance to know or somebody hasn't uh, given you the chance to know. You know. Will Rogers famously said, we're all ignorant, just in different areas. But it means in this case, though, is that you've not given yourself the chance to know God. You've not given yourself the chance to figure out who he is. And as a result, your heart will be hardened and you'll become callous. Maybe you know somebody like this. They don't want the opportunity to know God. They tune God out. Anytime you mention God around them, they just automatically shut you down. They have intentionally become ignorant towards God and as a result, their hearts are hardened and maybe you know, man, I just can't get through to them. Don't quit praying for that person. Keep praying for them because eventually God can maybe open their ears up. I've seen plenty of stories of people who have turned their ears from God for years and years and years and finally, finally they listened. But in the meantime, they're callous. They don't feel that hurt and that loss because they have convinced themselves it's not there. And finally, it says we've given ourselves up to impurity, sensitivity, and greed. In other words, we have wrapped ourselves up and become consumed with narcissism. We do what we want, when we want, how we want, because we like it, because it feels good. That's what the world tells us, right? If it feels good, do it. Let's be honest here for just a moment. You don't need to raise your hands. You don't need to say, yeah, that's me. But how many of you, especially if you came to Christ later in life as an adult, you can look at your life and you can say, man, Kurt, before I came to Jesus, I was, I was all those things. Or I was one or two of those things. Maybe that described you. Maybe you are in the process of coming to Christ and you're starting to recognize those things in yourself. Here's some good news for you. Okay, here's some good news. When you come to Christ, none of that matters anymore. Because Paul says you are not only, not only have a new identity, you are, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. And more than that, God sees you as a new person. God sees you as his. John chapter 1, it says, to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer labeled by the world. You're a child of God. And folks, that's what Paul's talking about here. That's what he's getting at. We refer to this as, as holiness. 
Uh, sometimes we, we talk about somebody being a holy person and almost kind of like a, an insult. No, to be holy means to be set apart. It means we choose to not be like the world anymore. Kind of the fancy theological term here is sanctification. We're trying to become more like Jesus, and the only way we can do that is by letting go of all those things the world said that we were before we became a Christian. We're no longer like the world. We are instead being transformed to become like him. And the good thing here is Paul gives us three keys and three steps on how we can focus on transformation in our lives today. Look at verse 20. It says, but this is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's three things that he gives us out of this. First, he tells us that solid teaching is vital to our growth. Go back to Acts chapter 2. We talked about this a moment ago. Uh, Acts chapter 2, after we kind of read about that, where Peter tells him to repent and be baptized, we read about what the church did in the very first days. And the first thing it says is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now I want you to hear me out on this, because teaching is important. As, as Christians, we need to be lifelong students of Jesus, lifelong uh, learners trying to become more like him. And, and the more we get good, solid teaching, it helps us get a good, solid doctrinal foundation in our lives. The more we understand about Jesus, the more we understand about God, the easier it's going to be to follow God to become more like Jesus, the easier it's going to be to withstand what the world throws at us. Solid teaching is important. Like we said last week, it helps us get our roots in Christ. It helps us to withstand the storms the world throws at us. But second here, he tells us to take off our old selves, to put off our old selves. Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, that we know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, you begin to understand that who you were before Jesus is not who you are with Jesus. You're made into a new person. When you're baptized, that's the symbolism of baptism, you are dying to your old self, being crucified with Christ and raised to a new life. And that's what he says the third thing here is we put on the new self. Kind of like you take off the old jacket, you put on the new jacket. When you put on the new self, when you step up out of that baptistry, and you take those first few uh, wet, soggy steps out of the water. Those are your first steps on a lifelong journey to become more like him. That lifelong journey of transformation. Romans chapter 12, one of the most famous and challenging passages of the New Testament. Paul tells us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Folks, again, this is not an instant change. This takes time. This takes practice. It takes dedication. Think about it this way. If, if you've tried going on a diet, if you start a diet on Monday and you eat healthy on Monday, you're probably not going to notice the changes on Tuesday. It's going to take a while. You've got to keep after it. I went to the gym one day this past week. Didn't notice any change yet. It was the first time I went to the gym in four months. I, I mean, rephrase that. I did notice a change. I was much more sore the next few days and a little bit more out of breath, but I didn't notice a lot of change yet, right? 
Now, what, what is the key when you diet or exercise? It's, it's persistence. It's, it's patience. It takes time. That's why people take pictures of themselves at the beginning of a diet or the beginning of a workout plan and then six months later take another picture because you're not going to notice the change day to day. You're going to notice it when you're able to look back. Folks, in your life, when you try to become more like Jesus, it might not happen overnight. Now, some of you, God has set you free from an addiction like that, and you've walked away and never looked back, and, and we praise God for that. But for a lot of people, it takes time. It takes practice. And the good thing about this is there's, we, we can help each other out with this. And we'll kind of get into that here in a moment, what that looks like, how we help each other grow through this. But I want you to understand repetition and commitment to things like daily prayer, scripture reading, the Christian community, fellowship with each other. Those are what we need in our lives. That's how we put on that new self and and we we do those every day. If you haven't been through Rooted yet, we'll start Rooted back up here in a couple months as the fall gets a little bit closer. But I, I challenge you and I encourage you, if you've not been through Rooted, especially if you're new to the church and you're new to Christianity, man, let us know. Let us know. I'd love to be a part of Rooted uh, because that helps you understand these rhythms that you can put into your life day by day. If you've been through Rooted already, man, I really hope, really hope you're putting those rhythms to work every day in your life that you're, you're praying and, and reading like Jesus did. You're serving others like Jesus did. You're, you're giving like Jesus did, celebrating like Jesus did. All those things we talked about in Rooted, those need to become part of who you are at your very core. That's how we put on the new self and take off the old self and get away from our depraved mind. But second, Paul moves into this, what's this new life look like? And I got to be honest with you because this is a list of do's and don'ts. <laughs> do this, don't do that. That a lot of people be like, uh, you know, if I become a Christian, it just means I, there's a lot of things I can't do. Well, yeah, there are some things, but there's a reason for it. And we're going to get into these right now. Uh, Paul starts in verse 25 and, and he gives a list specifically of four things that we're supposed to stop doing if we're going to follow Jesus. Some of these to me are pretty self-explanatory. We shouldn't be doing these anyway. But first thing he tells us in verse 25 is tell the truth. He says to stop uh, living in falsehood and speak the truth to each other. Here's why. You need to understand this. Satan is the father of lies and Christ is the source of truth. So if you're trying to be less like the world, less like the enemy and more like Jesus, it should make perfect sense to get away from falsehoods and get into honesty. That includes being honest with yourself. Now, I want you to think about something for a second because we can all probably answer this question. How many times have you been hurt by a lie? Probably every single one of us can say, yeah, I have. Now, how many times have you seen a community hurt by a lie? Some of you have seen a church hurt by a lie. Folks, lies do nothing but damage. We've learned this from the time we were kids, right? My dad used to tell me, you can tell me the truth now and you might get in trouble, but I'm going to find out the truth if you don't tell it to me and you'll be in even more trouble then. That kind of stuck with me a little bit. Hopefully it stuck with you too. Uh, he says to get away from this because lies are, are damaging, they're hurtful, they're painful. Second, he tells us in verse 26 that we need to learn how to control our anger. Uh, he, he tells us very specifically uh, to, to be angry and don't sin. Now, he's, he's being very clear there, and he gives us two truths about anger. 
And I, I need you to understand this as you're, if you're a Christian. Two things about anger that you need to know. Number one, it's okay for a Christian to get angry. Number two, it's not a sin for a Christian to get angry. Because he says it very specifically there, be angry and do not sin. In other words, don't let your anger lead you to sin. Don't let your anger consume you and become a problem. Uh, Folks, there's sometimes anger is necessary. I hope you're looking around the world and seeing injustice that is happening, and I hope that makes you angry. But angry to the point that leads you to a solution, not to causing additional problems. See, that's the key. And that's sometimes what can separate the Christian from the non-Christian. Third, he tells us to not steal things and instead work to help others. Now, that's pretty self-explanatory and obvious, right? I hope that we don't steal things. Those first couple things we mentioned there, those things aren't going to land you in jail. You steal something and it might. But he says don't steal and instead help each other. So let me ask you this question, because a lot of you probably aren't struggling with the stealing part, but are your actions for the betterment of the community? Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, we see two amazing examples of the church coming together and doing what? Taking everything they own and pulling it together for the community. They gave everything they had to help each other out. Community living at its absolute finest. Fourth, he tells us in verse 29, to don't have any corrupt talk. And instead, use your words to build each other up. Now, let's, let's pause here for one second. I want you to be very honest with yourselves. Because as we look at this list of these four don't do's, number two and number three are probably, for most of us, pretty easy. Most of you can probably look, look yourself in the eye, look me in the eye, whoever, and say, I don't let my anger lead me to sin. And I don't steal things. And I actually do work to help other people. And most of you, most of you probably don't have any trouble with number one, telling the truth. But let's, let's be very honest, church. How many of us really can struggle with number four? We use our words to tear each other down. We use our words to hurt each other. Now you may say, well, I'm not being corrupt. But let me ask you a question. How many times are we using our words around other people that we know are going to agree with us to get them on our side? Because that's something we're probably all guilty of from time to time. Let me challenge you. Let me encourage you. Your words should be used to build up the kingdom of God, to build up the church, not to tear down his members. Not to tear down the members of the kingdom, the members of the church. Your words build up or your words tear down. I hope that you're using them wisely. Folks, these four keys are important. These four don't do's are important, not so that we can't have fun. No, they're important because Paul tells us that If we do these things, we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever stopped and uh, thought for a second about how your unwillingness to follow Jesus can actually impact God? Have you ever thought about that? Has it ever crossed your mind to think about how what you do or don't do affects or impacts God and how it grieves His Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that guides you and directs you and as we talked about a few weeks ago, has sealed you, has sealed you for eternity. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? See, here's what I want you to understand. We are called to follow Jesus. That means to walk like Jesus. Uh, And when we walk like Jesus, that means we let go of walking in the world. Walking in the world, that worldly path, that leads to bitterness, wrath, anger, fighting, and slander. It leads to us hurting ourselves and hurting others, verse 31 says. 
Verse 32 tells us that walking with Christ leads us to attitudes of kindness and compassion and forgiveness and gentleness. I don't know about you, but between those two lists, I'd rather have the one with kindness and gentleness and compassion. Because you see, here's, here's what we're going for. When we walk with Christ, it means that we walk in love. With love, in love. Chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says this way, that when we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's what following Jesus is really all about. It's about experiencing and sharing the love of Christ. It's a love that we'll never fully understand like we mentioned a few weeks ago. But you don't have to explain it to experience it, and you certainly don't have to explain it in order to share it. You have to live in it. You have to willingly choose that path. And folks, understanding the love of Christ, even if it's just a fraction of what it truly is, is transforming. It will transform your life. It has already, and you might not have realized it unless you can look back at that photo you took of yourself six months ago. Jesus' love covers us. And when we learn to walk in it, we will learn to share it with others. It's just going to naturally share with others. And that's the key, folks. When you begin to learn what it's all about, just how high and deep and wide and long it really is, folks, it cannot help but change your life. If you were able to taste his love, folks, you're never going to want to taste anything else again. Nothing else could ever satisfy you. See, folks, that's what we need to learn to embrace. It's the love of Christ that takes us from the darkness to the light. It's the love of Christ that not only takes us from the darkness, but it turns us from the darkness to the light. Chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's the challenge. And really, right there, that's your your takeaway for the week. Walk as children of light of light. Matthew, Jesus uh, tells us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that we are a city on a hill, that we're like a light, like, like a lighthouse leading people to Jesus. We're guiding people to him. That's our call. And we can only become light, folks, when we choose to walk towards the light. See, here's kind of the point behind all of this. Darkness, I mentioned a minute ago, it can be overwhelming. It can lead to anxiety or fear. It can be scary. Now, maybe you're like me. Some people are, are scared of the dark. I'm not personally scared of the dark, but I'm always wondering what is waiting for me with my next step. If you're like me, I've got small kids. That means I could step on a toy that's hiding in the darkness. They could cause some pain in the bottom of my foot, but could also mean that there's something that else was put there that I didn't know about that's going to trip me. Maybe I'm in a place that I'm unfamiliar with, and maybe as I take my next step, I'm not 100% sure if there's going to be a foundation there for me to put my foot down on. Walking in darkness can be scary, but here's what I want you to understand about darkness. Darkness has no answer for light. There's no battle between light and dark. Okay, there's none whatsoever. This room I'm in right now, it was dark. When I came in and hit the light switch, the darkness was gone. Just like that. There's no struggle, okay? Now, sometimes lights take a moment to brighten up, but as soon as they start to come on, you can see in the darkness. And sometimes that's all it takes. 
Sometimes you're walking through a dark room and all you need is just a little quick sliver of light. And you've got a photograph in your mind and you can make your way through that dark room. Because when we're in darkness, what is our natural instinct? To find a light switch. Folks, when you are in darkness, the light is waiting for you and when you find it, you're fine. In your darkness of your life, Jesus is that light. His spirit will guide you to that light. And it's up to you to follow him. It's up to you to take it. Walking in Jesus means walking in light. And it means we leave the darkness of the world behind us. So that's our challenge today. That's your challenge this week. If you're new to this faith, if you're new to walking with Jesus, it's leaving behind the path of the world that will lead you to darkness. It's embracing the light of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. So thankful for Jesus who is our light. God, I I pray today that you would help me to walk in your light every day. God, you would help all of us to walk in your light every day. God, that we would let go of the darkness that defined who we were. God, and embrace the calling that you have brought us to. God, letting go of those things, not because you're a strict and mean person who wants us to just do everything you tell us, but God, because there's purpose. Because when we walk like you and we listen to you, we can become more like you. God, we're thankful for the cross that took away the darkness in our lives. God, we're thankful that you have called us into this light. God, I pray right now specifically for anybody who's still in that darkness, who's looking to get out of it, who's looking for answers, who's looking for the path, God, that you would, you would show them your light. God, you would put them in our path so that we can direct them to you. We pray in Jesus' name today. Amen. In, in light of what we talked about, in light of this, this talk of darkness and light, I'd be remiss if we didn't offer you the opportunity to step out of darkness into light. If you've got questions about Jesus, who is he? What, is, what difference does it make that he's in my life? Would you, would you reach out to me today as you're watching this? You can email me, kurt at redwoodchristian.org. You can call the church, leave a message for me. I'd love to talk to you in the coming days. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Maybe you have somebody in your life who can talk to you uh, about Jesus with you. Reach out to that person. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. You don't have to have it all figured out to know who Jesus is. But I'd love for you to have the opportunity to experience Jesus how I've experienced Jesus. Don't wait any longer. Don't miss out. Reach out to him today.